Next week's Bugle is a ticketed live show on Saturday the 27th of March, 8pm UK time. We will put out brief highlights as next week's Bugle uh, late in the weekend. But if you want to see the full show, buy your tickets uh, via the Bugle website, thebuglepodcast.com, or elsewhere on the internet if you have access to any form of search or siege engine. newspaper for a visual world. Hello Buglers and welcome to this week's instalment of Humankind, the first billion years. Um, We picked it up a little bit late back in 2007 but I assure you uh, we here at the Bugle are now in this for the long haul. I'm Andy Zaltzman, this is issue 4187 of the Bugle and if you're listening to this in the year 1243 then you will know that the prediction I make next summer in issue 4258 about time travel being developed within the next 50 years will have proved eerily correct i am any guesses yes i'm in the shed of shalom uh, whence i have been greeting you for the past year now since lockdown deprived me of my weekly expedition into the outside world to see chris in 3d he's with us today in his now traditional 2d i'm starting to get worried if he'll find it hard to switch back to 3d uh, after all he was in the olden times considerably more 2d and less 3d than i was so it might be that he was already sliding that way um joining us from uh, firstly not very far north of here or 24,858 miles if you head south and stick with it it's Nish Kumar <laughs> hello Andrew how are you I'm uh, I'm well thanks uh, Nish uh, how are you I'm good interesting couple of weeks yep. in uh, for Nish Kumar um <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, having already uh, lost one job due to having worked for the first app to die of coronavirus, Quibi, <laughs> uh, I have been uh, summarily dismissed from my job at the uh, British Broadcasting Corporation. <laughs> the uh, BBC cancelled the MASH report, which is something that we found out a few weeks ago. Oh. Um, and they, um, uh, we were sort of told uh, that they just had run out of money. And we were like, all right, fair enough. Uh, unfortunately, uh, last week... The Sun uh, ran a piece uh, under the headline, which is actually my background on the Zoom call, uh, Nish Bash Bosch, Nish Mash Bosch, which, <laughs> you know, obviously not ideal, but I respect the pun game. Um, <laughs> um, but um, uh, apparently a source close to the Director General said the show was cancelled as part of a, a war on woke. Um, oh, right. And uh, I, I, I did approach the BBC and ask them, because, you know, the Sun, it's not beyond the realms of possibility the Sun has been making shit up, <laughs> uh, given that they, uh, they've, uh, they've made up worse things. Um, <laughs> I you think know, that's fair uh, to say. Yeah, maybe, maybe Google the uh, Hillsborough disaster or uh, use of the phrase gay plague in the 1980s. So, you know, it's very much the thin end of the wedge. Um, but I did ask the BBC if they would uh, clarify <laughs> that the uh, this was a lie, and so far we've not heard anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, interesting times. Um, I uh, was asked for a comment, uh, and I, 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 ch- I chose to not give one and maintain a dignified silence. I did, however, post on Twitter a still from the show uh, of something we did a few years ago where we talked about the media's soft treatment of Boris Johnson, which is a bit of a shame because due to... Uh, things that he has done and said, we were able to refer to him as both a liar and a racist, even with the BBC's quite stringent um, laws about what you can and can't say. And um, I posted a still of me uh, next to a sign that says Boris Johnson is a liar and a racist, and the Daily Mail said that it was neither big nor clever. 
And uh, I would say I agree with you calling someone a liar and a racist is neither big nor clever. However, if you post that picture on your Twitter feed as an official statement as part of an ongoing news story, knowing full well that that is going to be reprinted in (laughs) newspapers that are very favourable towards the current Prime Minister... I would say that is both big and <laughs> <laughs> Interesting times. Interesting times indeed. Um, also joining us from quite a long way west of here, it's the man who prophesied on this very show that he would become a father, and just weeks later that <laughs> prophecy came true. Starting to think he might have had some quite literally inside information. From New York City. It's the daddy himself, Hari Kondabolu. Hi, Andy. Hi, Nish. Hey, How you doing, Hari? Hey, Nish, I, I've been meaning to ask you, are you sure you're you and not me? <laughs> <laughs> Hari, the lockdown is slowly morphing you and I into the same person. <laughs> I, I could not possibly have said that line. Um, I, should, I should explain for our listeners. And this is a, a sort of beard, long hair. It's a beard, long hair combination. Harry yeah. and I both look like we've been in lockdown for, I'll say, 25 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Since the Cold also, War. Harry's Zoom background is a, uh, a palm tree and a beach, which is really heightening the Tom Hanks castaway vibe. <laughs> <laughs> Chris has also gone, gone a bit uh, bit loose in the, in the mop. I'm dressed, aren't I? Give me a break. <laughs> I'd say I'd say in comparison to the three other people on this call, Chris is keeping it pretty organised hair-wise, Andrew. No, I've been, I've been working on my hairline. I think I've got an extra couple of inches backwards since lockdown began. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is. It is a year. And, uh, well, unless you were saying just before we, we started recording a year, a year ago this week. That's right. You and uh, and Tom Ballard joined me on the the first lock, lockdown lockdown bugle. I mean, uh, yeah. Looking back, would you say it's been a year of uh, unceasing fun and frolics? <laughs> Uh, yes, I would, Andy, but only in the interests of attempting to appear by it, uh, impartial in order to get my job back at the BBC. I would say that it has been a year that of both full of fun and frolics and also bereft of fun and frolics. Balance. Give me my job back. Balance. Please give me my f***ing job back. But on, for balance, don't give me my job back. Balance. <laughs> You're handling um, this surprisingly well, Nish. And also not well, Ballard. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the perfect balance, isn't it? Happy on the outside, crying on the inside. That's what comedy's all about. Um, <laughs> I'd like, I think, can, can we get, can we that, you know, get Cotty, C-O-T-I, to go alongside lol, laugh out loud, and crying on the inside. I think we need that as a... Um, and it's something we've all been doing a lot in the last year. We are recording on Friday the 19th of March. Special day for us here in Britain, of course. Recently rated Britain's joint most frequent day of the year in the second millennium uh, by historians after an exhaustive analysis of all the days in that millennium. Um, 29th of February did really badly again. And the 3rd to the 13th of September dropped down the rankings massively after the whole switching to the Gregorian calendar and missing out 11 days in 1752, Shemozel. The bookies are still refusing to pay out on that one. Could have been an inside job. On this day in 1649, the House of Commons of England passed an act abolishing the House of Lords, declaring it to be useless and dangerous to the people of England, uh, which I think was a line in that uh, Daily Mail article about your show, Nick, wasn't it? <laughs> but, 
Actually, that was a review of my stand-up show, Andy. Please get it right. <laughs> but who would have thought? Nish, the House of Lords, useless and dangerous to the people of England in 1649. Who would have thought 370 years later, not only would the House of Lords still be in existence, um, albeit after a brief hiatus uh, after 1649, but, but that being useless and dangerous to the people of England would have actually become very sound electoral strategy, beloved of Prime Ministers. Um, uh, today is World Sleep Day, uh, and to mark this uh, great occasion, we are offering all Bugle listeners a free complimentary sleep of up to one hour to be taken at some point in the next two months uh, you may incorporate your bugle bonus snooze within a regular night's sleep or tag it onto a cheeky afternoon kip you may not split it into three 20 minute power snoozes and please do not activate your free snooze token whilst operating heavy machinery boxing professionally deep sea diving or closing in on the long overdue capture of a wanted international criminal uh, as always uh, section of the bugle is going straight in the bin uh, this week uh, bugle census now uh, this sunday the 21st of march here in britain is uh, uh, the decadely census is taking place uh, where the government gets to snoop on who we are how long we've been who we are uh, where we are who we are and what's and what bits and bobs we keep and or would like to keep in our underpants and uh, things like what deity is lining up to look at us sternly as we pass into the next realm with an unmistakable you want to come in here look on their face and or faces. So, um, very exciting times, the uh, the census, once every ten years. So we're doing a bugle census for you to fill in yourselves um, to answer the questions in the gaps. There will be a low buzzing sound for you to answer over the top of, like this. Good luck. Uh, question one, buglers. Uh, you've got multiple choice in this. What is your age? Is it A, don't know, I've just been born? Is it B, between 0 and 200? Or is it C, I've forgotten, I'm immortal? Uh, next question. Do you currently or have you ever previously listened to the Bugle podcast? Answer in that gap. Uh, are you currently listening to an episode of the Bugle podcast? If you are not currently listening to the Bugle and have never listened to it, what would make you listen to it in the future? Have you ever listened to the bugle whilst drowning? Can you read, speak, write or understand any of the following languages? Late Cro-Magnon, Telepathic Norse, Welsh Exo-Canadian, Dog, 8th century High Madagascan Flemish, Body of Love or Puns? Are you currently involved in a high-level covert government espionage operation against a foreign state, organisation or individual? If so, when, where and how is this operation taking place? It's got to be worth a pot. That's how they got wind of Burgess and McLean in 1951. Uh, are you currently attempting a, a ritual sacrifice of an ox, oxen, or one or more other animal offerings to one or more deities? Uh, have you ever impersonated a chicken, professionally or otherwise? <laughs> and finally, uh, beliefs. Uh, do you believe that clouds are A, made of water vapour, B, probably escaped mashed potato, C, proof that God is damp, or D, gender fluid? So there you go, that's your Bugle Census. If you do not fill in the Bugle Census by answering to yourself in those gaps provided, you can find yourself £1,000 payable by yourself to yourself within 30 days. Or, if uh, on, if you fail to pay, you may then launch legal action against yourself. That section, <laughs> in the bin. You couldn't do a census of Bugle listeners. The, the actual <laughs> census is filled with people writing things like Jedi and all sorts of things. <laughs> you imagine the f***ing listenership of this show. <laughs> Oh, there appear to be uh, there appear to be ten thousand people living in the continental United States called Florence Nightingale. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nish, don't, don't badmouth the show. This is the only show you haven't killed. Yeah. <laughs> that. That was. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> Are you crying or laughing? I'm, <laughs> Bugs. <laughs> balance. Bugs. <laughs> Top story this week. Um, well, this is the difficult one. Hate crimes. Um, hate crimes have been one of the surprise growth sectors of third millennium life, despite some fairly compelling evidence from the second millennium that they're really not a very good idea and do not benefit team human long term. I mean, when we talk about learning the lessons of history, uh, this is a lesson history could not have taught much more clearly. If history was indeed a teacher, it would have written hate crimes are a bad idea all over the blackboard in luminous fire retardant paint then blasted a flamethrower at the blackboard until all that was left was those letters glowing out of the smouldering remnants of the classroom wall like a three-dimensional art installation reflection on humanity years 1000 to 1999, or 1001 to 2000, depending on how you swing when it comes to the dates of millenniums. That is how clear the lessons of history are. But uh, over the past uh, week or two, both Britain and the USA have been reeling once again in the aftermath of uh, horrific crimes perpetrated by men against women. And we'll, we'll start in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Eight people were killed, uh, including six women of Asian descent at three spas in the Atlanta area. There was some disagreement, uh, Harry, over whether the motivation of the killer was racism or misogyny or racism and misogyny or racist misogyny or misogynist racism until those doubts were cleared up by a spokesperson for the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office who explained that the killer was just, quotes, pretty much fed up and having a really bad day. Um, in terms of uh, tone-deaf, idiotic things <laughs> to come out of sheriff's offices, this has got to be right up there, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean... I remember that song from a few years ago. I don't believe the lyrics were... Because you had a bad day, you take an eight down, you shoot a lot of people, and you turn it around. I mean, I think it's, it's as tone deaf as that joke. And um, Wow, big claim. And also, I mean, it, it's... It, it, it's, it's more, it, it, it gives him an excuse, and they go further by, by saying that the killer told them that he had a sex addiction and he was trying to eliminate uh, temptations which would be these spa slash massage parlors and the people that worked in them why do white cops always try to go through the mental state of white shooters they never hurt them they take them in peacefully white murderers who kill minorities get treated really well by white cops because they have a lot in common it's killing minorities <laughs> the murderer also apparently told police that he had a sex addiction and massage parlors were temptations for him that he wanted to eliminate. First of all, he's lying. I've seen a picture of him and no one is having sex with that man. <laughs> you can't be addicted to something you don't have. I am <laughs> addicted to precious gems and mansions. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly... Sex addiction does not lead to you killing people. Where was that episode of Californication when <laughs> Hank Moody is so sick of having sex that he starts killing people? And he had a lot of sex on that show. It, dr it drove David Duchovny, the actor, 
into rehab for sex addiction. Why? Because <laughs> that is method acting. <laughs> In the aftermath of, uh, of this, uh, this tragedy, Hari, a, a Congress hearing was brought forward, a, a hearing into discrimination and violence against uh, Asian Americans. Um, the subcommittee chair, the Democrat Steve Cohen, um, began his statement uh, saying that the Atlanta shooting felt, quote, like the inevitable culmination of a year in which there were nearly 3,800 reported incidents of anti-Asian hate. So do you think with hindsight, we can now start to think that it might not have been a good idea to have a president who encourages white supremacists and uses terms like the China virus? Or, I mean, is that... I mean, it's easy to say with hindsight and indeed uh, foresight. I mean, um, obviously there needs to be lots of studies done to see the effect, but I think we can at least agree it did not help. Right. <laughs> it was not okay. useful in uh, uh, stopping the hatred towards Asians. I mean, in some ways... Guns and racism should probably be added to that as American as list that includes apple pie and baseball. <laughs> <laughs> this is... could, we have, could we have a Hall of Fame? Yeah. I mean, that's going to be that's oh, that's going to be that's going to be tough, isn't it? To... Well, it's going to be Who tough. Who gets in to... the Hall of Fame for American racism? Wow. <laughs> oh, it's go- it's going to be hard to to finally get a person of color in that Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that makes sense for it to be segregated, but. <laughs> That's the only way they could do it. Right. Finally. <laughs> Finally, some white Americans will end up in a Hall of Fame. At last. Uh, Listen, all I will say is if murdering, if white guys are murdering groups of people of colour because of a bad day, whew, white guys have been having bad days for like 600 years. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that is a hell of a streak of... I mean, what was the Amritsar massacre if not a spectacular case of the Mondays? I mean, <laughs> sure, it happened on a Sunday, but that was in anticipation of the Mondays. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a Hall of Famer. General Dyer is a Hall of Famer. <laughs> he makes the Hall of Fame. Texas Republican Chip Roy spoke at the hearing and I don't know why they let him speak but I guess they had to (laughs) and he said you know this was in response to people testifying about uh, racism and hate crimes against Asians he says my concern with this hearing is that it seems to want to venture into the policing of rhetoric in a free society that makes perfect sense why not just focus on on the crimes themselves and not on the intent. You know, like we do with terrorism. <laughs> you know how we don't prosecute terrorism? How there aren't special departments focused on terrorism? <laughs> Boy, those 9-11 guys were having a hell of a bad day. <laughs> he went off on a tangent then about his hatred of the Chinese Communist Party. Why? Because congressional hearings are the most effective way to get things done. (laughs) Racism over in six hours. (laughs) I just want to backtrack just for a second. Um, The 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 Cherokee County uh, Sheriff's Office. I mean, first of all, they're called Cherokee County, and they killed all the indigenous. So that's not a good sign. But (laughs) yeah. Not great. Not great. Subpar. And, and like, you know, the department's mainly white, but 
Jay Baker, who was the uh, who was uh, the captain, he's a captain. He's ranking. Uh, said he wasn't racist. His colleagues said it wasn't racist. That he misspoke. Uh, but unfortunately, people checked the internet, and he was advertising <laughs> shirts on his Facebook that said "COVID nineteen imported virus from China," <laughs> spelled C H Y dash na. So that that uh, didn't help. Later, the Cherokee County Sheriff Reynolds um, made it clear he said that race did not appear to be the motive. This dude just killed eight people, six Asian women at establishments run by Asians and said it was his attempt to stop temptation implying that he was attracted to Asian women who he killed. So why wasn't this racist? It's because the sheriff said, quote, during his interview, he gave no indicators that this was racially motivated. When asked specifically, the answer was no. It was not racially motivated. Good thing they didn't ask him, hey, did you kill these people? Because he'd be free right now. <laughs> oh I love the use of the term, that didn't help. I, th- I feel that could be a segment on every American news show every single day. <laughs> Just that that didn't help from some, someone somewhere in a position of authority who has said something idiotic. This whole story is like buying a tub of ice cream, not reading the label, and it accidentally turns out to be sewage flavoured. Then <laughs> you eat it anyway, and after having eaten the entire tub, look at the bottom of the pot and realise that it's past its sell-by date, and you're about to have a case of volcanic diarrhoea. In that it starts unbelievably bad, and then just continues to get worse as it goes along. That's great. That's great. Oh, that's a beautiful image. <laughs> Let's move on to some happier news now. Cold War 2 is officially underway. Now, one of the really great things about COVID, and let's be honest, there are not too many sentences that begin with those words, unless you are a member of a government that likes to clamp down on civil liberties under cover of pandemic-aggravated news darkness. One of the great things about COVID is that it's given us a whole year now of not really thinking about major long-term issues of planet-worrying, ominous importance. But as the stumbling, elongated beginning of the end of the crisis shuffles uncertainly into view and then back out of view and then slightly back into view, poking its head around the door, then back out of view again. But it's hopefully still coming into view eventually. (laughs) Other news is starting to get its headline-grabbing mojo back. And in times of trouble, we often look to the past for reassurance. So this week, it has been Cold War nostalgia time. Um... (laughs) Again, and I mean, we have Cold War nostalgia quite regularly, and during COVID time, I have to say I've really missed it over the past year. I often find myself wistfully thinking back to times when we wistfully thought back to the Cold War. And uh, this week, well, America has been really busy uh, loggerheading. Is that a verb? Anything can be verbed these days. Loggerheading with both Russia and China, as well, of course, as its oldest, fiercest enemy itself. Um, now, which of these excites you most, Hari, as an American? Uh, the, uh, the tensions with Russia old-school Russian-American standoffs or the slightly newer, more modern tensions with China? What's, uh, what's really getting you out of bed in the morning? Well, it's tricky. I will say there is something really special about the, the U.S.-Russia stuff, especially the exchanges between uh, Putin and Biden. Like, yep. 
Biden said that Putin was a killer without a soul. And in response, Putin said, it takes one to know one. (laughs) But then Biden responded, I'm rubber and you're glue. So whatever you say bounces off me and sticks back to you. (laughs) Classic. (laughs) I'm I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm pretty sure I ended up with both of them just saying your mum to each other. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> that's how it devolved. It, um, Vladimir Putin has offered to settle this uh, by way of a conversation on a Zoom call. And let's be honest, regardless of where you're from, what you think about the world, no one wants to see that Zoom call. No oh. one wants to see Joe Biden mashing the keys to try and struggle to get himself <laughs> off of mute. And no one wants to see Vladimir Putin join completely naked and somehow act surprised. Oh, I didn't know the call was coming through. Oh, dear. Here's my fully erect penis. We know, Vladimir. We know you had to accept the Zoom call, click on the link and hit join with video. There were so many steps to prevent that from being an accident. Yeah. <laughs> An exhibitionist <laughs> and he's looking at pictures of himself naked <laughs> he's just he's got a big mirror and his laptop open at an angle in which we can see both him and his reflection um i mean this is this is proper old school kind of tit for tat stuff uh russia uh, or the kremlin as it's often described in new, news reports i like to so, you know, slightly take some of the authority out of it by referring it to, to it as kremi the kremlin um it's my favorite uh cartoon a version of a, a overseas government Kremlin the Kremlin recalled the Russian ambassador to Washington in a strategic uh, counter peeve uh, Russia slammed Biden as senile and a world class <laughs> hypocrite um which I don't know if that's a compliment or not I mean is is a world class hypocrite mean that you're so good at hypocrisy that you people don't always notice it mm. or I mean, it's a step up on the kind of primary school level hypocrite that was uh, Biden's predecessor. Um, Andrei Turchak from the uh, ruling United Russia Party uh, described Biden's interview as, quotes, a triumph of US political insanity. Um, and that's, uh, that's quite a good review in a lot of ways, isn't it? That was a, another review of one of my stand-up shows. <laughs> <laughs> it was a confusing one. But it's interesting, isn't it, that they've gone for the... Because there was a report this week that showed that uh, Russia had interfered in the 2020 election to try to uh, help out the former social media influencer Donald Trump. And um, (laughs) Kremi responded to these claims, not by debunking them, denying them, but just with a classic, your new president is an old codger line of attack, which um, suggests there might be uh, be some uh, some, some, uh, fire to go with all that smoke. They also wished him, Vladimir Putin also wished Biden good health, which is literally the last thing you ever want to hear from Vladimir Putin, because that, that's normally what he says before he, you know, does the classic Putin shuffle, by which I mean pop some polonium in a sushi box. If, if Putin told you after a dinner party, get home safe, you're dead. Oh my God, your car's brakes were cut hours ago. <laughs> Say hello to your wife and children when you get home. (laughs) (laughs) To heaven. (laughs) Because they are also already dead. (laughs) Um, The uh, uh, Kremlin spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, uh, apparently responding to Biden's uh, interview, said, there hasn't been anything like this in history. Uh, (laughs) What? What, leaders slagging each other off in public? No, of course, there's never been anything like that um, in history. I mean... 
I mean, there is a bit of a tradition of airbrushing things out of history in uh, uh, in the the higher echelons of Russian government. I think that's fair fair to say, um, and no doubt uh, old Trotsky would back me up on this one. But uh, it, it's interesting, isn't it, that airbrushing things out of history is one of the things that is very difficult to airbrush out of history. I don't know what you can read into that. <laughs> but what do you say? The uh, I mean, let, let's let's try and put a, a score on this in terms of nuclear likelihood. What 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 chances are of the uh, U.S. Russia spat? Uh, de- yeah, degenerating into a full-out nuclear war. Um, I've uh, run the maths on this. 7.4. Uh, I don't know what it's out of. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, 7.4 sounds like quite a lot. <laughs> I, th- a lot of these comments have also come in the same week as uh, Putin attending a concert, uh, which uh, the official purpose of which is to celebrate the reunification of Crimea with Russia. Now, reunification is doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence. <laughs> like, Crimea was reunified with Russia in much the same way as when I was mugged, the guy who mugged me was reunified between his hand and my wallet. <laughs> it's a it's a big old euphemism. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that was seven years ago this week, uh, the uh, annexation of Crimea. We've had... Um, Ten years of the Syrian uh, civil war. Uh, there's some really chirpy anniversaries flying around at the moment. Um, it's not been a fantastic century so far. It hasn't, Nish. No, but 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 I mean, you say that. You know, if we're only competing against the 20th century, we're still doing okay. <laughs> Twenty-one years in. Can you imagine that? Nine-eleven was just the opening act. <laughs> it was. It was just. You know, it was just starting us off. I did. And you would be like, oh, well, thank God, that's the worst that could pop. And then every year since, something else. Yeah. Absolutely was, incredible. Uh, and this year we've got the 100 ball cricket competition. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just like in the then. interest of balance, this has been a fantastic century. Please can I have my job back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, moving on to uh, to China, there were the first um, sort of high level meetings of uh, American and Chinese officials since Joe Biden uh, uh, took over. Um, Secretary of State Antony Blinken and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan met uh, China's Yang Jiechi and uh, Foreign Minister Wang Yi in uh, Alaska, uh, which is an interesting choice of location for something that's already being talked up as the new Cold War. They're already going in for the uh, the visuals on that one. Um, uh, and it obviously ended up in public squabbling, uh, shade throwing, insult for insult, zing for zing. And uh, I mean, it's I don't know where, where you put this on the the, the nuke likelihood scale. Um, I'd say 6.5, but it's a different scale to the Russian one. So I don't know if that's more or less. Uh, China not scoring many international human rights brownie points at the moment. America, of course, trying to reestablish its global leadership credentials in the aftermath of the Trump regime. So, I mean, this is not the most promising of diplomatic tinder dates is it <laughs> yeah i mean it's tinder insofar as it could burst into flames and literally anyone <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah it's listen it's very spicy say what you will about the chinese communist party and you will end up in a work retreat in xinjiang <laughs> those guys are some spicy motherfuckers <laughs> and also i really appreciate the fact that america is going listen you guys are really doing some bad stuff to your own people. And that's our jam, okay? <laughs> Stop ripping us off, China. We invented, we invented oppressing our own people. 
<laughs> oh, that's a big claim from America. I mean, don't, don't forget your roots, people. Um, and in this age of Cold War uh, nostalgia, well, Nish, it's been well, it's been a great week in in Britain because we are what tooling up. God save the Queen. Our nuclear arsenal. Um, it's much, much needed because uh, yeah. estimates suggest that we've dropped down to only 185 nuclear warheads and the government has made it an absolute priority to get our nuclear arsenal back well above the psychologically critical 200 warhead mark. I mean, this surely is the most important thing for our government to be spending uh, it's money on, yeah, from Boris Johnson's point of view, what's the point of devoting yourself to a career in politics if you can't treat yourself to some pointless grandstanding spending on things that go bang? Um, you know, he's earned, he's earned that right, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, listen, coming a couple of weeks after, uh, there was a major budget announcement, uh, which included uh, the fact that I think nurses are getting a pay increase in the form of handwritten IOU notes from Boris Johnson. <laughs> um, I believe that, I think it's just going to be handwritten IOU some money commensurate to the fact that you've all been risking your lives for the last year trying to treat this f***ing pandemic. Um, I think they might have misread the IOU, of the I being a cock and the O and the U being two balls. <laughs> you know what, Andy? I'm actually looking at it closer, and that is, that's my right. bad. Yeah. That's my bad. That was me misreporting what was happening, yeah. <laughs> Boris Johnson, uh, after a couple of weeks ago when Boris Johnson wrote a cock and balls on a piece of paper and threw it at some nurses... Uh, well, that is essentially what he's done. <laughs> Because he said we didn't have enough money. Uh, it's a slightly surprising announcement that uh, this week the UK is set to reverse plans to reduce the stockpile of nuclear weapons. So what they're doing is announcing the overall cap uh, was due to drop to 180 under previous plans from two, uh, 2010. Uh, that overall cap, so the most nuclear warheads we could possibly have, will now increase to 260. And look, the government has taken a look at Britain, a country ravaged by the pandemic, where over 120,000 people have died, and standing on the precipice of economic Armageddon, once the furlough scheme ends that's been subsidising people's wages who might have otherwise lost their job, they've looked at that and thought, you know what we need? Nukes. They've, they've looked at that and just thought, you know what we need? We need to tool up to fight some sort of imaginary... Listen, the only goddamn thing the government should be doing with nuclear anything is doing some experiments so that we can all get... And this is a direct quote, at minimum, X-Men levels of superpowers. That's the <laughs> only thing quote. that the government should be. That's from a nuclear recommendation panel written by, I believe it's N. Kumar. Uh, we should be experimenting to get, we should be aiming towards Professor Hulk level powers. Uh, that's from the run, of, run in the comics where the Hulk managed to combine the brains of Bruce Banner with the uh, powers of the Incredible Hulk. That should be the ultimate goal of British society. But at minimum, we should be getting Jubilee-level powers, who's the person from the X-Men who can just basically launch a minor fireworks display from her hands. Of That's course. what we should yeah. be getting. And you'd think this government should know that. After all, Michael Gove was bitten by a radioactive cockroach as a child. <laughs> that explains his career ever since. Um, <laughs> wow. I, I don't think I've ever heard a joke where I've come out on the side of the cockroaches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually like, that's harsh on cockroaches, Andy. I've seen some of them, and they are definitely sexier than but, Michael Gove. But, yeah, in terms of, you know, this the spunding, 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 spending, <laughs> spending. It's my South African roots coming out, though. A bit of spunding going on. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, well, the, nur- the nurses, I'm not so fussed about the nurses, because who needs money when you get to wear really cool full-body PPE every day? Lucky bastards. Uh, but, you know, you look at underfunding of police, schools, local councils, social care, mental health services, libraries and youth clubs closing by the... I mean, this bit could go on for a f*** of a long time. Yeah, yeah, all, yeah, all the yeah, things yeah, we could yeah. be spending yeah. money on. Just think about your favourite crucial public service, uh, Buglers, and just assume it's grotesquely underfunded. But all that can wait. <laughs> Um, because we need those nukes. Now, what really annoys me about this is, you know, I wouldn't mind this if we ever actually f***ing used them. You know, I want some literal bang for my tax buck. At least with other forms of public spending, you can see benefits, like your children being out of the house for eight hours a day, five days a week. That justifies the education budget. Or your car being on a bridge instead of in the Thames. You know, you can see that money is benefiting your life. But nukes, we don't even get a f- parade in this country um i don't know uh and hari obviously i mean you you've got six thousand nukes uh between <laughs> you too um, many which uh russia's got about this uh, slightly more i think about six thousand three hundred i mean the uk's current stockpile just below 200 i think is estimated to be not quite enough for us to destroy the entire planet unilaterally right um, so obviously people don't take us seriously as a global force until we can wipe out all known life. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. um, so in America, I mean, is, is, is it discussed in America whether 6,000 is enough or not enough or, or too much? Well, we have 6,000 because in America the men have very small penises. And <laughs> as a result... You need six, and then right after that's the UK, India only 150. Just saying, Pakistan 160. Hello. Oh, that is that is worrying, and also, I mean, because I mean, those those are the, when you look at where the nuclear weapons are in the world, those numbers really really stand out uh, because those are 150 and 160 right next to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Facing and, each other, in fact. Yes, <laughs> and. You know, India thought that Pakistan's current Prime Minister Imran Khan was dangerous enough when, uh, as a cricketer, he destroyed them in the 1982-83 Test Series, one of the greatest displays of bowling in the history of cricket, as well as contributing some big runs with the bat. But now that he's got 160 nukes, he's arguably even more of a threat. I, I genuinely can't believe it isn't mentioned every week on this podcast that Imran Khan is the Prime Minister of Pakistan. It's mentioned quite a lot, I think. Because I just mean, it's the true union of all of your interests, Andrew. (laughs) It's the true union. Cricket, politics and food from the subcontinent, which we get in tangentially just by talking about India and Pakistan. And of course, Imran's political career was significantly boosted by the fact that he led Pakistan to the World Cup of cricket in 1992. That gave him this you know, incredible... Uh, I mean, he was already a, a cricketing hero, but I think winning the World Cup was a real moment in terms of making him you know, a, a political force. And yet in that World Cup final, a couple of umpiring decisions really went against England. Uh, in particular, <laughs> it was Derek Pringle to Javed, me and Dad. And if those had gone the other way, then Derek Pringle would be Prime Minister of England. <laughs> and that, I think we would all take... And as it currently stands, I would happily take that. Protest news now, and uh, Nish, you are our um, uh, protesting in Britain uh, correspondent, and aside from chaining yourself to the railings at the BBC this week, uh, there's been <laughs> some so, 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 some exciting news in terms of uh, the government clamping down on, uh, on protest. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A, uh, a new uh, bill entitled the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill, which 
as a combination of words, just suggest it's no fun whatsoever, <laughs> uh, has passed uh, its first reading in the House of Commons. Uh, now, uh, this bill, look, <laughs> this bill is like a biopic of Jawaharlal Nehru called Jawaharlal. As starring Rob Schneider covered in boot polish and giving it the f- full head wobble. <laughs> in that absolutely nothing about it looks good. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely nothing about this looks good in any way whatsoever. Because the bill uh, gives the Home Secretary, Pretty Patel, the powers to create laws without parliamentary approval to define serious disruption to communities and organisations, which pol- police can then use to impose severe restrictions on protest. And also, senior officers are going to be able to impose noise limits on protests, and it gives them powers to intervene when the noise is disrupting the activities of an organisation or has a relevant impact on persons in the industry. Now, call me an old-school square, but the whole point of a protest is to disrupt the activities of the organisation <laughs> and the relevant persons in the vicinity. I think we can all agree Martin Luther King would have had a lot less impact if he turned up to make the I Have a Dream speech without a sound system and instead <laughs> had just written the whole thing down on a piece of paper and asked people to hand it round and silently read it to themselves. <laughs> or play it like a game of telephone and just have people whisper it to each other and eventually have a guy who got there late standing right at the back say, I grab a scream? What's this going on? <laughs> Now, here's the thing about Pretty Patel. Aside from, and I believe I've said this before on the podcast, being every Asian kid's least favourite aunt. The kind of aunt who, for Christmas, gives you a clip round the ear. Pretty Patel, being in charge of a protest bill, is a bad combination of personal responsibility. She described the Extinction Rebellion protesters as so-called eco-crusaders turned criminals and called the Black Lives Matter protests last year dreadful. Mm. Having her drafting protest legislation is like having animal rights legislation drafted by Ronald McDonald and the Hamburglar. She <laughs> has a vested interest in these laws being absolute dog shit. And the news in relation to Pretty Patel has been getting worse within the last hour um, because part of the reason the protest bill is so uh, f- much at the forefront of the national conversation at the moment, aside from the fact that it's f***ing draconian beyond belief, is that there's been a serious conversation happening about the way we protest in this country uh, after vid- a vigil that happened in Clapham Common last week after the murder of Sarah Everard. Now, Sarah Everard was brutally murdered and the person who has been accused of her murder so far is a police officer. Now, obviously, under those circumstances, what you don't want to have happen is if there is going to be a vigil, have the police turn up and behave like... And this is a direct quote from me... Uh, a bunch of f***ing godless A-cab right? <laughs> now, but also in the interest of balance, uh, S-cab, some cops are bastards. Uh, <laughs> please can I have my job back. Uh, <laughs> so obviously, uh, the police handling of that protest, there have been serious questions because the police used an unnecessary amount of force. And there were a lot of protesters uh, being manhandled uh, on camera and the last thing you want in a situation where women have turned up to protest about the treatment of women potentially by a police officer in this specific case is to have police officers mistreat women um, so, but on the positive side it does so far seem as though the bill's passage has stalled So it's not clear what's going to happen next with the bill. But after having passed its first reading, where it was voted through the House of Commons, uh, it now is supposed to go into a committee stage. But there are a lot of rumours coming out this week 
that the bill is actually going to be delayed until the autumn. Now, if that is the case, it is almost certainly the result of a string of direct actions and protests undertaken this week by, uh, led by, amongst others, Sisters Uncut, who are a brilliant feminist campaigning group that have done a lot of incredible work in the last 10 years. The very fact that this bill has stalled is proof that protest f***ing works. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very heartening example of what mass dissent can still continue to achieve. And to pretty Patel, all I will say is this. Go f*** yourself, you f***ing piece of shit. <laughs> I think... But in the interests of balance... Oh, you know what? F*** it. She's an <laughs> asshole. Johnson's a liar and a racist. F*** a lot of them. This entire government is a pack of f***ers. I don't even want my job back. <laughs> that whole section, I was thinking about uh, a Nehru bobblehead doll and how funny that would be. <laughs> the visual niche was is so enjoyable. Listen, if the if the man who brought the world Deuce Bigelow male gigolo cannot be trusted to deliver a performance as Jawaharlal Nehru, then I don't believe the art of cinema has anything to offer in the 21st century. That is all for this week's Bugle. Nish, you have some albums out. Yes, I have something to promote. Uh, and it is two comedy albums by me that were released uh, today, uh, Friday the 19th of March, as we record. Uh, They are called It's In Your Nature To Destroy Yourselves, Part 1, and It's In Your Nature To Destroy Yourselves, Part (laughs) 2. And they are the uh, live recordings of the shows that I did uh, in 2016 and 2019. So please go and listen to them, because I, as discussed, have lost several jobs. (laughs) I am, quite literally, hemorrhaging jobs right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, any uh, any assistance you can provide by buying uh, or listening to the albums is greatly appreciated. <laughs> um, they are, let me tell you, not balanced. Let me give you a spoiler <laughs> right now. That is not balanced comedy in any sense, be it political or emotional. It is. It is imbalanced. Hari, any, uh, any shows to plug... Uh, I still have my podcast with W. Kamau Bell every week. It's called Politically Reactive. Also, I also encourage you to purchase Nisha's albums. Uh, Of course, uh, his older stuff is also available. They're called Waiting for 2042 (laughs) and Mainstream American (laughs) Comic. Um, It's from an earlier era of his career. So feel free to support Nish as much as you can. Uh, thank you for listening, Buglers. We will play you out with some lies about our premium-level voluntary subscribers to join them uh, or to make a one-off or recurring contribution of any size to the Bugle voluntary subscription scheme. Go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the donate button. Steve Roach wonders how the legendary Japanese painter Hokusai, famous for his The Great Wave of Kanagawa picture, but sadly dead now as he has been indeed continuously since 1849, would have got on with modern-day surfers. I like to think there would have been mutual respect, speculates Steve, but also mutual confusion. Why would you paint it when you can ride it, they would say. On the subject of the sea, Elan Ezekiel thinks the renowned, salt-obsessed 70% of the earth-covering water mass is a bit overrated compared to land, from a visual perspective at least. Elan has particular scorn for the parrotfish. Most fish seem to copy each other to a large extent anyway, with all due respect, so why the parrotfish gets that label specifically, I just don't know. I'd call them sheepfish instead, the unoriginal pelagic plagiarists. 
Richard Maul is suspicious of any organisation that claims to have headquarters. It always makes me wonder what on earth they're doing in the other 75% of their facilities, notes Richard. They're up to no good, I reckon. Besides, headquarters? Who are they trying to kid? Chances are they account for way less than 25% of their total buildings and land. Probably a tax thing, concludes Richard angrily. The most heart-rending interview Rob Wilson ever read was with Dietmark Schleudengraber, the European and world anticipation champion, who took no joy in his victories because, as he himself said, he basically knew it was going to happen and the moment of victory was always going to be less good than the build-up anyway. Imagine being that good at your chosen sphere of excellence, laments Rob, but inevitably getting so little enjoyment from it. And finally, Richard Postill thinks the world is not very good at dealing with dilemmas. As a whole, we need more practice at resolving difficult, unappealing matters, so we need more dilemmas to learn from, says Richard, but I'm really not sure whether having more dilemmas is better or worse than remaining bad at dealing with dilemmas, but having fewer of them to deal with. I'm really not sure. Well, this is a tough one. Here endeth this week's lies. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.